close out Hebrews after 21 weeks. Uh, it was fast. I would like to do them slower, but I believe God was providentially providing. Uh, here we are. We, we, we open. In fact, I think, it's, I think it's awesome that Bob just prayed from, the, from that opening passage because we open with hearing about the proclamation of Jesus' greatness. Today we're going to close with a prayer that's only made possible by the greatness of Jesus. The whole way through, it has been about the greatness of Jesus. Every exhortation, every, every warning, every instruction, all the doctrine presented has been about exalting and showing the greatness and glory of Jesus. And so, so we're going to see this prayer made possible by the greatness of Jesus. And we're going to see one final call to persevere in our faith because Jesus is great. And so, so that's where we're going to be. We've got a lot to deal with. There's going to be several points of review as we walk through. So we're going to read Hebrews 13, verses 18 through 25. We'll pray, and then we'll dig in. All right. Pray for us. This is the, the word of the Lord. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought you again or brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever amen I appeal to you brothers bear with my word of exhortation for I have written to you briefly you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send greetings. Grace be with all of you. Let's pray. Father, help us today. It's where we sit every week as we look to your word, just dependent how, how will we conform our lives to what you've taught us and what, what your word has for us, if not by your help? And how will we understand what the word calls us to, if not by your help? So I pray, Father, for my words and, and, and my teaching, uh, that would, you would guard it by your spirit, that you would, that you would guard us from error, that we would be able to recognize the difference, that that, that your people would be led in truth. And so I pray for your help today to preach. I pray on behalf of my brothers and sisters here, uh, your help to hear and to obey. So Father, do your work by your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And it's evident all over the scripture uh, from the very beginning to the very end that God is sovereign and he sovereignly commands us to act and work and then we become responsible to, to listen, to hear, to obey, and to practice what he's called us to do. One good example of that is Adam and Eve. All the way back at the very beginning, he commands them to be fruitful and multiply. And as you know, we have a part to play in that. We get to play a part in his divine plan, his grand work of filling and multiplying the earth or multiplying and filling the earth, let me say it the right way, multiplying and filling the earth with people. We get to participate in that. But if the psalmist is right and that every life is knit together in their mother's womb, we're only playing a part. 
We're not actually creating life. So how can Adam and Eve, how can Noah and his wife, who, who, who would later hear that command, who would hear that command at the, at the entry into covenant with Noah, how can they do these things if God doesn't empower or put life where life isn't? Now, it's obvious he, it wasn't necessary for him to say to them, be fruitful and multiply. He didn't need them to play a part. He didn't need that. He proved that. Adam and Eve are the perfect example. Jesus, later on, perfect example. He doesn't need us in this process, but he blesses us with it. He, he, he draws us in and gives us purpose to, to live and be a part of his grand plan, his grand design to work in this world that he's created. But we yet are still absolutely dependent. As he is sovereignly commanded, he must sovereignly work so that in our responsible response, our, our doing what he's called us to do, it actually bears fruit. It actually brings forth and accomplishes the thing that he intends to accomplish. And right here, even right here at the end of Hebrews, we've, we've seen this all across Hebrews. I actually wrote about it early on in the book of Hebrews and posted it uh, for, for your reading uh, on Realm. But even here, we're seeing it again. There's a way in which this, this author draws together all that he's, he's thinking about, all that he's written. And he's coming to this place where he's, where he's requesting prayer and he's praying prayer and he's calling people to live in, a, in, in accordance with these things that he's taught and he's recognizing, we see it in the, in the midst of his prayer, that he's recognizing they can't do it. They can't work it out if God doesn't first work it in. They can't accomplish what he's called them to accomplish if God doesn't produce it in them. Jonathan Edwards noted this same idea in his comments on the book, in the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, where Paul reminds the church, it's God who works in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. Edwards comments this. In efficacious grace, we are not merely passive, nor yet does God do some and we do the rest. So we're not merely bumps on a log just being worked upon, nor does God do some and we do the rest. It's not a partnership. But God does all and we do all. God produces all and we act all. For that is what he produces. That is our own acts. God is the only proper author and fountain. We only are the proper actors. We are, in different respects, wholly passive and wholly active. There's a way in which there is God's work in us that produces his work to come from us. We cannot take uh, credit for the good works that we do. It is to his glory. It is his honor. And so we can walk around looking at people and Ah, that's a noble person, and we could let's, let's use Paul. He's a he's a good example. Maybe our author of Hebrews uh, is another example. These 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 saints that would be exalted, that we would lift to these places of of look at their life. I'm supposed to imitate that. I'm supposed to follow that. I'm supposed to in some way follow that example. Absolutely yes, but they are who they are, and they've done what they've done because it was first put in them and produced in them by the Father. By God. And here, in this beautiful mix of prayer, right here at the end of the book of Hebrews, this final exhortation to, to persevere and this prayer that he prays, the author of Hebrews knows what is right for the church to do. He knows what is best for the church to do. <laughs> but he knows that we need the Lord to work it in us 
so that we can work it out of us. That's why our main point for today in the sermon is this. To persevere well together in this life of faith. To persevere well together in this life of faith. We need to pray. And we need God. We need the God of peace to answer those prayers. To persevere well together in this life of faith, we need to pray. And we need the God of peace to answer those prayers. Our author, immediately, if you just follow the context of the passage, he has just finished his instructions for, 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 for kingdom life. His final instruction is obey your leaders, submit to them, trust your leaders, submit to them, yield to them for the keeping watch over your soul, and immediately follows that instruction with pray for us, a request for prayer. Then he turns in a closing prayer, a benediction, and he prays over the people of the church. He then gives some final greetings and offers one final request on behalf of this church. Now, we're going to look at every part of this, but, but we're going to start, if you'll just bear with me, we're going to start right smack in the middle at verse 22 at this appeal, this call to persevere in the teaching that he's been giving them. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Now, <laughs> compared to some of the other books of the Bible, this doesn't feel brief, right? Now, for us, 20 weeks, it took us, almost, it took us this long almost just to get through 1 John, which is a much shorter book of the Bible. But, but seriously, it, was, it, it doesn't feel brief, but he says this is a brief uh, I, I've written to you briefly. I've not said all I could say. I've not said all I wanted to say, but I've written to you briefly. I, I appeal to you. I urge you. I implore you to, to hear what I've said, to, to listen to what's been, what's been read to you. This word of exhortation, he calls it. It's a homily or a sermon. So, so I told you at the very beginning, the reason that we were pushing through this quickly is that this is not a theological treatise. It's not, a, it's not a systematic that's been set out for us that we're supposed to now parse and, and dissect every piece. This guy wrote a sermon that he wanted to be read in the church almost as if he's the one preaching it. The, the word there is, is the same word that we would use for homily or sermon. This word of exhortation, this, this, this imploring of you, this, this, this encouragement to you to act and live and believe these things. And so, so he's calling them to do the very thing he's been calling them to do all along, to persevere. Persevere in what? Well, let's just think about it. As we've walked through the letter, what have we been called to repeatedly to persevere in? I won't list them all because that took us 20 weeks to get that done in the first place. But let's look at several. Persevere in what? Persevere, resisting sin and apostasy. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. He doesn't want them purposefully leaving the faith, apostatizing, nor does he want them accidentally apostatizing and drifting away as if they're a boat that somebody forgot to tie up to the pier. The point is, he wants them to be intentional about learning, knowing, and pursuing Jesus. Hebrews three thirteen. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. As long as today is today. And I think tomorrow, when we get there, we'll call it today. And I think to the end of today will be today. So when do we quit this, right? Like, no, every day. If we see ourselves, our brothers and sisters, trapped in, deceived by, and living in sin, 
What are we to do? We're to ensure, we're to, we're to resist it, and we're to call them to resist it. Make sure that, that, that you aren't hardened by this deceitfulness of sin. Call one another back away from these things. Don't, let, don't just let one another fall away into these things. Take responsibility. Love one another enough to see what sin does and call each other back. So, so first, resist sin and apostasy. Next, persevere in faith. Hebrews 6.12 so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You could go to a Hebrews 11 and you could see a whole list of people who persevered in faith. Who, who believed and trusted and, and their lives revealed it. But believing and knowing, getting to know Jesus more, maturing and knowing Jesus. Imitating those who have gone before, enduring in their faith in Jesus. So that in the end, you get what God has promised you. So endure in that faith. Hope. Persevere in hope. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Hold fast our confession of hope. If you go back to that passage, Hebrews 10, 22 actually makes reference to our faith. So there's a faith and a hope together. There's a way in which we don't just believe for today. We're believing about tomorrow. Our faith is not just for this moment. Our faith is about what's coming, what we've been promised, what's, what, 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 what God has said he will accomplish. We're holding on to this very hope by the confession of our faith today. So, so persevere in resisting sin and apostasy, in faith, in hope, and in love. Hebrews 13.1, let brotherly love continue. One of the first kingdom instructions we study. In a world that is shaking... In, in fact, let me just say it a little bit differently. In a world that God is shaking, right? You go back and you can see he's shaking it to show and, and reveal all the shakable stuff and to rid it and to shake it away so that only the unshakable remains. In a world that is being shaken, let this continue. Ensure that we continue to love one another. This is the mark of Christianity. This is the, the fruit of, of who we are in Christ, that we love one another like we've been loved. We love one another like family. In a world that is shaken and being shaken, we are to be a people who steadfastly persevere in loving one another. So persevere in resistance against sin and apostasy, in faith, hope, love. Persevere in discipline. Hebrews 12, 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Well, what, what happens when we come on hardship? What's, what's the immediate response to, to hardship? Most often, it, my experience, maybe this is not where you're at. My experience, my, my immediate knee-jerk reaction to hardship is get out of hardship. <laughs> like go, go to the easy place. Find comfort. Find the way that's simple and easy and doesn't hurt. I don't like to run. I told you, I had this conversation before. Somebody was talking to somebody about exercise and cardio and, and, and said something about, I said, are you running? And, and he said, no, I don't like to run. I said, neither do I. And they were like, yeah, we know. We know you don't like to run. Because it hurts. It stinks. It's not fun. It's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's painful. So we, I just don't do it. I find an easy way. That's what we tend to do. He's saying we must persevere in this discipline because the hardship is, by, is the way we're being trained. We're being shaped by it. Our Father in heaven is using these things to shape us. He is treating us as his children. So rather than trying to run from what your Father is doing, persevere in it. 
persevere in this discipline. Persevere in doing good. Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is another kingdom instruction we studied just a couple of weeks ago. I, I could have picked the passage from Hebrews 10 that says, Don't forsake the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing, but get together. And stir one another. Consider, think on, d- d- discern how you can stir one another up to love and good works. Man, just think in a, in a season where getting together is difficult, where getting together is almost in, in some ways causing division for some people. Just think about this. We need one another to be doing good for one another. We need one another to be doing good. We need one another to, to do the good work of encouraging us and inspiring in us doing good works. How do we do that if we don't find time together? How do we do that if we don't find ways to live life together? But even when you're distant, even when you're distant, do good. And, and this author gives us this perfect example. What did he do? He wrote a letter. He didn't forget them because they were out of sight, out of mind. He spent time. I don't know what it's like to write a letter then. I mean, I don't think he sat down at his, his, his uh, Mac and started typing out a letter. I mean, I, I don't think he was chiseling on a rock or anything like that. But it's not the same as writing a letter today. Right? This is effort. But then he's purposefully choosing these words, pointing people to Jesus Christ because that's what they need. He does this good work that even though he can't be with them, He wants good for them. He wants what's best for them. So he finds a way. What can we do that even though we're not close all the time, even though that we're not able to be in the same room all the time, what can we do? How can we continue to do good and be good? This is what we're to persevere in. Persevere in worship. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Because we now belong to an unshakable kingdom. Because God is shaking everything in this world and only the unshakable will remain. And we have received this unshakable kingdom by God's grace and, 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 and by the work that he has accomplished through Jesus Christ. Because we have received this unshakable shakable kingdom. Our lives are to persevere in worship. Everything we are to do is called to be to his glory, even in this prayer that he, that he, that he mentions. At, at the very end of the benediction, working in us which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, what? To, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The whole point of this letter, the whole point of his prayer, the whole point of, of calling these people to these things is not simply to set them out in front of us to have these theoretical ideas that make us feel good about each other, but that we might live lives of worship. And to put it all together, that we might live lives of worship that inspire and encourage others to see the glory of God and join us in worship. That is the call of this letter. That's, that's what he's been calling us to. Over and over, persevering in these things, hearing these truths about the greatness of Jesus and responding to them as we have been called to respond to them, enduring against sin and apostasy, persevering in faith, hope, and love, persevering in the discipline that's necessary for us to endure in faith 
persevering in the good works that are the result of our faith and persevering in the life of worship that our God is due because our God is a consuming fire. He is glorious and all glory is due his name. So this is what we've been called to. This is what he's calling us to persevere in. That's big. And I didn't even give you all of them. Like we could have gone down, we could have done some more. You want to do some more? Or you got enough? How are we going to do that? How in the world? I know what it's going to be like when I wake up tomorrow morning and I'm headed to the airport. I told you I'm on my way to Montana. And it seems like a noble reason I'm going. And it is a good reason I'm going. But I got to get there. And I don't like to travel. As much as I enjoy airplanes, I worked on them for a lot of years, I, I, and I know them, and I appreciate them. I do not want to be stuck in these little tubes with a bunch of people, putting on a mask, cramped up. I'm not built for airplane. I mean, I'm built for, like, first class. <laughs> I'm going to be coach, man. I, mean, I don't need the extra space. I need the width. Like, I need the extra width. And so... We, I'm not looking forward to this. And, and, and then you got to deal with security. I mean, the idea that i gotta, I got a plan to figure out where to keep my shampoo. And I know these are small things, small things. I'm going to have to take my shoes off, got to pull out my laptop. It's, oh, come on. Why? I get frustrated. I'm already struggling with the idea of enduring in the, the, the small list I've given. Do you need more? How are we going to get this done? How are we going to live up to these things? Well, I think that's why it's so beautiful about how the author did this. Before he even calls us to it, he offers prayer for it. Right? Like He's asking God to work it in us so that it will work out of us. And, and, and he first, he starts with a prayer for himself. He, he starts with this prayer asking, hey, well, pray for me. Like, I, I'm sure I've got a clear conscience. I've been living according to these things. I've been striving for them. I don't think he would assume or pretend that he's perfectly achieved anything. But he's got a clear conscience. He recognizes and sees himself and, and is able to discern that he's enduring in faith and he's persevering in the ways that he's even called the church to. He's not living as a hypocrite. He, he's, he's striving and desiring to live honorably for God. But, hey, pray for me in this. Pray for us in this, your leaders in this. But it also appears that he's missing his church family. Look at verse 19. I, I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. He belongs to these people. The, the, the very idea of walking in unity from a distance, being concerned about people who aren't with you. He's already called us to that, right? To remember the ones who are in prison and to remember those who are persecuted because we're all of one body. Yeah, he, he understands this. He gets it. And he's like, I'm not with you. I want you to pray that I'd be with you. Because I know if you pray, it'll happen that much sooner. In fact, he makes his coming soon contingent in some ways upon their prayer. So he asks for this personal prayer. Well, because I happen to be the one doing this, I, I want to take just a personal point of privilege in the application of this. I want to ask you to pray for your leaders in the way that this guy is asking you to pray for, or, or this guy was asking his people to pray for him. Pray for your leaders. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, highlights how important this is. 2 Corinthians 1, 11, he writes, You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. 
Paul and his team had been suffering, and, and, and he brings it to the church at Corinth, and he says, look, we need your prayers. You, we need your help in prayer. You're not, you're not with us. You're not suffering the same things we're suffering, the bodily stuff. That you're not dealing with his physical sufferings. You're not actively the ones. You're not actively pre- preaching or promoting the gospel. You're, you're not even here, but... You can engage in the mission and you can help the mission by your prayer such that many will see these these gifts given by prayer and many will will give thanks on our behalf. So this idea is, I don't, I need to check my heart as I'm about to say this, not my notes. I think I can say this honestly. As I'm asking you to pray for us, your pastors, I do want you to pray for us because, well, less than noble reasons, because I'm selfish. (laughs) But truthfully and honestly, from the truest person of who I am, I want you praying for your pastors because it is a help to us in our ministry. How can we do the things we've been called to do if the church isn't praying for their leaders? Today, even today, in a a time where at least here in America we get to walk around, we get to join publicly, we don't have to worry about getting our throat slit, we're not being beaten and stoned and left for dead, we're not getting shipwrecked and all those things to to do this. We're we're pretty well accepted here as Christians. Any any persecution we face is usually passive-aggressive and not, not active physical persecution. But man, in a day and age when animosity just seems to hang in the air, when division and divisiveness is just right around the corner of every conversation. And you feel it, right? Like anyth- e- even the idea of preaching on biblical justice It may feel safe in a room like this. But I don't feel safe in doing it. Because I know. I know. I've talked with. I've heard. I've seen. I know the the tribes that we fall into. And I'm not the only one here doing ministry. Bob and Dave. They need your prayer. We need your prayer. So pray for us in this day. Pray for us to to be able to lead through these things well, calling each other to unity, the things that we've already been called to, to, that we would be men who, who do these things, that we would be men, like the author has said, that we would be men who have a clear conscience. Pray for us, your leaders, to have a clear conscience, that we'd be able to lead and live in such a way that we aren't sinning against our own conscience or acting as hypocrites and saying one thing and then doing another. Even if we're attacked or doubted or people disagree, at least we know we can stand before the Lord and know that we've done what's right and honorable before Him. Pray for us, your pastors, to live honorably. Pray that our lives are lived well. That, 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 again, we're not hypocrites, that our lives are lived to the glory of God in, an, in a way that pleases Him. 
I mean, think about what we were asked as, as a church. Hebrews has already dealt with this. He's already called us to this as, as churches. Hebrews 13, 7 tells us, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you, the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So pray for us that we live in a clear conscience and live honor, that we'd have a clear conscience and we'd live honorably as Christ-like examples that you can imitate. You just think about this for a minute. Do you understand? Can you even comprehend or, or see the, the, the weight that that carries? i got to stand before the Lord. Dave and Bob have to stand before the Lord in such a way that we can say, we're living so that you can follow our example. And I've already confessed I'm screwing it up as early as tomorrow morning. I need your prayer. We need your prayer. We need your prayer to, to live, to, to, to have a clear conscience and to live honorably as teachers who bring God's word to you. How, how are we going to do that? If God's not putting, us, putting it in us so that it can be brought out of us, we need your prayer. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. That's an instruction to the church, but listen, it's information for your prayer for us. Pray that we'd have a clear conscience and be able to live honorably as overseers that are under shepherds. We are overseeing, we are responsible for your soul. In some way, in the great grand plan of God, we have a responsibility to oversee this church and their souls as under-shepherds to God. Jesus is the great shepherd. He calls that out in this prayer. (laughs) Pray for us to have clear consciences and to be able to live honorably as accountable to God and dependent on God. We're going to answer for this. How we lead this church, again, in the great plan and grand design of God and in his grace I don't fully understand how it's going to play out but we're accountable for what we do here man let me just call you right now sign up there shouldn't be a man in this room that isn't living the life that could be called on to do this at least aspiring to it but I can tell you there's at least two other men One of them is serving. I don't see him in here. I think they're in the nursery. But Bob and Dave have stepped in. So pray for us. How do we get this done if we don't have the prayers of the people that we're seeking to love and serve? A couple of bonus requests. As you're praying for us, in fact, I'd ask you to pray for these things every day. Because tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up and I'm probably going to be failing and needing your prayer. Now that I've told you, I'm going to do my best as I feel it. Like I'm going to... But couple of bonus ones from Paul's letters. Boldness to preach, Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, this is a, this is a passage that's right at the end of putting on the full armor of God. We put on the full armor, and then we don't run out and charge the, the battle lines. We get on our knees and pray. But look at verse 19. And also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, I don't think that we think of Paul as someone who needs boldness. 
Because as we get the picture of him, as we read his letters, he seemed pretty bold on his own. Or was it an answer to prayer? Pray for us to be able to boldly preach. Think about this. Every week I step up here or anyone steps up into this pulpit or any time that a pastor sits down around uh, across from one of our, our people in counseling or in a teaching circumstance, we are engaging in spiritual warfare. Every time. Every last time. Our war, our war, our fight is not against flesh and blood. And the battle won't be won with our flesh and blood or someone's else at the cost of their flesh and blood. Only through Jesus and his flesh and blood. We need you to pray for us to be bold. We, we need to be bold, to be able to speak truth. I'm going to tell you, it's, it's not always well received. People don't necessarily like it. People don't necessarily want to hear it. Our sin nature works hard at, at having its way. The little idols that we have in our life, even the noble ones that we really like to have and hold, that we, that we show ourselves as uh, uh, good people in the world, even those, uh, oh man, they're so, we, we cling to them so tightly. We need your prayer. We need your prayer. We don't just need your prayer to be bold in the preaching and teaching and counseling. We need your prayer and the opportunity and clarity to preach and lead. Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, writing to the, to the church, he says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open us to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Just imagine this. This guy's in prison. He's already been arrested for it. And he's saying, I want more opportunity to be arrested for preaching the gospel. Look, we, we know it comes at a cost. We know, we understand this. We've, we have felt it. We have walked in it. We deal with it. And even though it comes at a, cross, we, at a cost, we need you to pray for those opportunities to become clear so that we can preach and lead in a way that is right and good. And we need to be able to do it with clarity so that the words that we speak move past the eardrums and the fleshly responses to the heart that God has made alive. We need your prayer. A few others that you can add to your list for us every day. Wisdom from God to lead. How are we going to do that? How are we going to be wise if God doesn't make us wise? Patience like God's. Man, I, I like to heat my food up in a microwave. I like to drive through a drive through and have my stuff right now. I like results. Heart work is difficult, and it takes time to see transformation. We need your prayer. We need your prayer for God's presence to be made known to us and God's leading made known to us so that we can clearly lead. If we are going to persevere well together in this life of faith, we need you to pray for us, and we need the God of peace to answer those prayers on our behalf. We need that. We need to pray for one another. He, he requests prayer for himself and then immediately moves to a benediction. That, and some would say, oh, he's just closing out the letter. He's just got to do this. No, he's praying. He's asking the God of peace to, to do this work. And he's praying for one another. What's he pray for? First and foremost, that they would be equipped well. 
that they would have what's necessary to live the life God's called them to live. You think about how we typically frame our requests. Like, what are we praying to God for right now? I don't know what's going on in your life, but, but oftentimes, or I know what's going on in some of your lives, but oftentimes we're framing our requests based on the very specific situation we want to go our way. Right? I got COVID. I don't want COVID. Get me, heal me. I lost a job. I need a job, so give me a job. I want a better job because I want to make more money, so give me a better job. I like that house over there. Will you give me that house? I'm single. I don't want to be single, so we give him a spouse. I've got a spouse. We fix this spouse because I don't like this spouse. What drives our prayers? Now, I'm not suggesting we shouldn't be praying those things. I'm not saying that we can't bring them to God. He understands. He hears us as his children. But, but how different is this? This guy doesn't list a bunch of specific situations. He just says, hey, I want God to give you all the good stuff. For what? To be equipped well by God, for what reason? So that you can do God's will. Have you ever thought that the thing you need most is not the air you breathe or the water you drink or the food you eat, the house you live, the clothes you wear? But the thing that's necessary to do God's will in this moment. God may have already planned for you to not make it home. Now, I'm not trying to be gruesome. Don't misunderstand what I'm about to, do, I'm about to say. God may have planned for you to not make it home. You may not need more air than what's being given you in this moment. What you need is to be able to live according to God's will in this moment. How often is that driving our requests for God to work? Now, again, don't, 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 don't hear me saying don't pray these other prayers. But don't let them be the life of your prayer. Look at what God has done. Seek to be equipped by him to do his will in this world. And, and look at the way he says it. It's in verse 21. Equip you with everything good. Good according to what? According to his standard. According to the good God that has done good things, that you may do his will, working in us, putting in us what is necessary so that we can live a life that is pleasing in his sight, so that you can actually act in the way that creates a smile. In Christ, the Lord looks at you and he is pleased. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But he's working in you such that you can begin to work out those good things that bring pleasure to him. In the same way that I just recently have been watching uh, my youngest grandson, Grayson, beginning to think about crawling. This is really fun to watch. Like He can't hold himself up completely yet, so he falls over and gets on his head. And he can, his legs are good, but his arm's not so good. and He's thick, so it's, it's going to take a bit, right? But it's beautiful. It's really so cool to watch. But as we're sitting around the other night, last Wednesday night, as we're sitting around just before community group, and he's sitting there, and they're putting stuff out in front of him for him to start to move toward. Nobody's looking at him and saying, oh, man, I hate that kid. He can't crawl yet. 
We're pleased with him just because of who he is. But we're so pleased at him beginning to take strides and beginning to develop and grow and mature. This is what God is doing in you. This is what God is doing in us. This is what, in, in fact, I would just point to you to, to say, oh yeah, I ask for prayer for us as your pastors. Don't, don't misunderstand this, but, but pray for us as members of the church. Like this is every one of us equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us. He wants every one of us equipped with the good stuff of God so that we can do God's will together, so that we can do works that are pleasing to God because God has worked in us in such a way that makes us able to work in a pleasing way before Him. Let me remind you of the quote from earlier. In efficacious grace, we are not merely passive, nor yet does God do some, and we do the rest. But God does all. And we do all. God produces all, and we act all. For, what, for that is what he produces. That is our own acts. God is the only proper author and fountain. We only are the proper actors. We are, in different respects, wholly passive and wholly active. And that may seem confusing. It may seem like, oh, my goodness, how in the world do I understand that? I'm just saying, hey, here we are. Products of God's grand plan to redeem a people unto himself and establish an unshakable kingdom. And he has put stuff in us so that it can be revealed from within us. And so now we, we pray for this, that we, would, that we would have every good thing from him so that we could do his will before him. And then one final request, to have God's grace. The very last line, after these personal greetings and this reminder that Timothy has been away and Timothy is going to come again soon. And, and even though he was distanced, he's, he's one of us. Even though there's, there's saints who are family members in Italy that maybe we never met them or they never met them or never seen them, but they send greetings because together we're one family. But here we are, grace be with all of you. One final closing request to have God's grace. Pray for one another to be equipped well by God, to do God's will, and to have God's grace. This is not the first time he's called us to grace. Hebrews 4, 16, I think, is right around where it's at. He calls us to draw near the throne of grace so that we would have mercy and grace in time of need. He calls us in Hebrews 12, uh, right around verse 15, to, to, to see to it that no one fails. See to it that no one fails. You can check me on this. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. You think about this. We are responsible to do this, to draw near the throne of grace. We are responsible to ensure no one fails to receive God's grace. How are we going to get that done? If God doesn't make it happen. So we pray. And we don't quit praying. We pray and we persevere in prayer. To, to persevere well together in this life of faith, we need to pray and we need the God of peace to answer those prayers. And then finally, let me just say, what do we do after praying? We trust God we trust the God of peace to provide. 
Look at, look at who the requests are made to. Look at who the benediction is offered up to. Now, verse 20, now may the God of peace, he's the source of peace, in a shaking world, where are we going to find any peace? Him. The God of peace. He's the source. He's the sustainer of it. He's the only place it's going to be. If there is to be any peace, we're going to find it in God. May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the God. We are, we are trusting the God of peace, the God who raised Jesus from the dead. The resurrection that now promises us and provides for us eternal life. If Jesus were dead, we would be lost. Our sin wouldn't be forgiven. There would be no hope. If this life is all the hope we have, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that we are above all people to be pitied. But this God... This God that we're praying to and we're seeking these good things from. This God raised Jesus from the dead. This God who raised, who in Jesus gave us a great shepherd. He cared enough about us that he didn't just stay distant from us, but he put someone with us that is just like a shepherd to his sheep. Now, I, I got messed up last week in my sermon by the idea of this picture of a person yanking on a donkey and a donkey being stubborn. And I didn't want to call you donkeys, but I'm not ashamed to call you sheep. We're sheep. That's not really better. But we have a great shepherd. It's not bad to be a sheep when you have such a great shepherd. Right? <laughs> Our Father in heaven loved us enough to provide us this great shepherd. He provided us the promise of eternal life through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He's provided for us peace. What good, things is, what, what, what good things are we needing from him? What good stuff do we need to be equipped with in order to live this life? We're praying these things and trusting the God of peace who, through Jesus' sacrifice, provided and drew us into an eternal covenant with himself. A covenant that he has fulfilled of his own doing and made us beneficiaries. You have eternal life. You have the hope of an inheritance. You have the promises of God. Not because you've done something to earn them, but because through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has said, this is yours. Because Jesus never sinned, you will be treated as if you never sinned through faith in him. Because Jesus was rejected, you will be received through faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus suffered reproach, you may have reproach in this life, but you'll never face reproach from God through faith in Jesus Christ. <laughs> we present our request to this good God who has given us all these good things already. He's the one we trust as we wait for him to answer and provide us the good things that are necessary to do his good will. <laughs> so pray. Pray for your leaders. Pray for one another. And you trust God and, and, and let me just say this. I don't think it's necessary to pray and wait for some answer. If God has been faithful, if, if God has given us his son, what will he withhold from us, right? Like that's the, he wants you to do his will. How do you expect him to answer when you say, equip me to do your will? 
Now we just got to figure out what his will is. That's a sermon for another day. But I can guarantee you this. His will will be to his glory, the good of his people, and the advancement of his gospel. If you can be doing those things, and that's what you're asking to be equipped in, you can be certain. He will meet you, and he will give you the good that's necessary to do those things. If you've never trusted in this offer of salvation through the life, breath, and resurrection of of Jesus Christ, then let me encourage you today. Trust in him and enjoy all the good things that he's given his people. Let's pray.